This is 12 Questions with Anna Valenzuela. Today we have Ryan Higgins, really great guy. You're going to love the conversation. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna V is Fun. And you can find me on Facebook under Anna Valenzuela and 12 Questions. Also, uh, I just wanted to give a little shout out uh, to Marcia Dosh. Uh, <laughs> the uh, incredible mother of Joe Dosh. Uh, I hear you listen, and I just wanted to tell you you're fantastic, and you have certainly uh, raised an incredible man. So, uh, yeah, let's get started on this episode. Let's do this. Um, hey, okay. Hey. 12 questions. I'm going to ask you 12 questions. Ryan Higgins, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you. I love this podcast. Can it be this? Can, can, it, just it, be can this? it just be me just, just showering you with compliments? How, yeah. Oh, my God. It's the best idea for a podcast. You do, you, do you know what I thought to ask you? No. Okay. Well, I, I just mentioned it. You have very cool friends, but also you are in the program, and I very rarely meet somebody who, like has those things you just made a face do you not want me to say that you're no no okay. no, no no um and so uh i saw you again sorry sorry everyone all five people who listen to this podcast <laughs> um i'm gonna i'm gonna mention the roost battle but you just did one you did a first one and what i loved is that oh man did your buddy drag your business out on stage yeah, yeah 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 and you just were so poised and so graceful and so unfazed by it and i was like oh that's a guy who's done some work no no um all of those <laughs> yeah 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 i have a lot of work to do still <laughs> that's a guy who's done uh some work I, I have a lot more work to do but uh the thing is all of those subjects i mean um, my brother dying of cancer, you know, all of this stuff. These are all things I've talked about on stage. I've attempted, you know, to make funny and, and work through. Uh, not just, you know, I, of course I don't start on stage, but um, yeah, these are all things I've you know done my best to deal with. But I've had a lot of comics, like I was at a mic two nights after the battle, mm-hmm. and one comic I didn't even know came up to me, hey man, you know, being real supportive, I really liked your joke, let's, let's get, but that other guy man some of those jokes man that shit wasn't funny dude. i was like what are you talking about yeah they're they don't get it. I, I was yeah. like it's fine I'm, it, it, what what rusty said in the battle that doesn't make anything worse i don't think doesn't make it different it doesn't make it different yeah. at all it had nothing to do with with what happened i mean i trusted rusty he was legitimately trying to be funny I don't know. I had a different, completely different perspective. It's almost like some of these comics were waiting for me to be like, yeah, fuck him, man. What the fuck was that? Like, you know, no, not at all. The <laughs> biggest commentary you get from folks who are comedians, but they don't do it, is like they expect you to have strong opinions when you lose, or they expect you to, they don't understand it's about putting on a good performance. Yeah. And even yeah. when you lose, when you have a good battle like that, it feels amazing it feels great that that's all we had uh we had talked a little bit when we were deciding to battle and for us both it was just important that we both did really well like we really just wanted it to be an amazing battle i I think very few people remember who wins and loses it's just Mm -hmm. like oh that was funny or not Mm -hmm. you know it's basically it like um so you've been in la for how long um maybe six months now Maybe. Welcome. Yeah, not long. And I'm sorry. <laughs> it's kind of a weird nightmare place. <laughs> you know, it, uh, I really love it 
over i love the you know the comedy scene i love uh the shows i love the people the weather it like i hate the logistics of the place like the Mm -hmm. traffic and this and that but i really like it the hardest part was you know leaving uh, a comedy scene that i was accustomed i was comfortable in Mm. you know where i knew everyone yeah that loss of community was probably the hardest part people think like oh la is fucking man it's so hot and uh, that's not the worst part moving to a new place and starting over that's that's tough that's really tough has this been your first big move in recovery yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. that's also disorienting like yeah i i moved from a small town in north carolina greensboro to our capital raleigh and i thought that was like oh man gotta yeah no that wasn't shit that was nothing (laughs) that was nothing that was absolutely nothing but yeah this was a big one i i i wasn't ready for how challenging this move would be yeah i think i don't think anyone really is have you found yourself like have you found yourself a a, like a home group here or like i haven't i've been really bad i i still have the same sponsor (laughs) who's back in north carolina it took me five years i was doing a long distance sponsorship from san luis obispo to la for five years five years five years see and and it's not even the so when i moved from greensboro to raleigh i was there for like two years doing comedy performing and my sponsor had moved from greensboro to Lexington, Kentucky, where he's at now. Oh. And so we had done the long distance thing for a little bit. And now I'm in LA. So it wasn't too different, but I just, I love the guy. You know, I don't want to get another well, like sponsor, an- but I do need to be able to sit down and meet with the guy, you know, work steps that way. You can't, I, I, I'm not going to say you can't do it, but it, I'd, I imagine it's, it's different. The face to face is important. Yeah. 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 I get it. I've, I've, I've heard, I don't know. I need to stop dragging my feet, but, um, <laughs> I am, I am. <laughs> That's okay. I've totally been there. I've yeah. totally been there. Yeah. I, um, I've moved a few times and, uh, I moved from San Luis Obispo to Pasadena about God. 11 years ago and then I moved to Orange County and then I moved to Long Beach and then I've moved back to LA. Hot damn, man. Yeah. Hot damn, man. Yeah. You got the warrants? You got warrants? <laughs> You're just dodging the law. What is No. You know what it is is I think I've been looking even throughout my recovery for uh, a purpose. You know how it talks uh. about how we're going to have we'll intuitively know what a purpose is and mm. I think I found it. I think I hope, um, but I've always had to switch jobs and locations, and I moved. I moved for love the first time. Yo, was, we've all yeah, oh yeah, uh, I've know. done that. Well, you know, instead of developing my own goals, I decided I was like, oh, I'm gonna just become this other person's. I'm gonna a sidekick. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna be I'm the gonna superhero. Help them define who they are yeah. through me because that's how people work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that didn't work, and uh, so I ended up. I, I'm where I'm at now, and um, even when I first moved back from Long Beach, my, my sponsor's in Long Beach, and I was here for a couple of weeks. I had lunch with somebody who's not even, he's like, he's like, uh, I don't know, he's wise, but I think he's also one of us, but he's yeah. not ready. Um, and we were having lunch, and he goes, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm so glad. Like, I'm just having a, is just like we're talking right now, and he goes, you're miserable. Oh. And I go, what do you mean I'm miserable? He goes, 
you miss Long Beach, don't you? And I was like, because <laughs> I had this like group of women that um, when comedy came into my life, I had to, I couldn't spend as much time at the meetings that I liked yeah. and doing stuff. Yeah. And so now I've transitioned, like I have a, a daytime meeting that I go to and, you know, people that I know there and, and that's been a big help, but it took a little while. It took, it took me getting very uncomfortable uh, to really Oof. and and I ran out of coffee one day. That's literally what happened. I was in my kitchen and I was like, I'm out of coffee, and uh, I think there's a meeting a mile away, and I know they have coffee, and so I went. That is one thing that has <laughs> shocked me, and and I'm 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 generalizing. It's only been a couple meetings here in LA, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I I've gone to meetings and no coffee. And it's not like I'm showing up and I'm like, where's the fucking bagels? Or, you know, I just, but to me for no coffee, I was like, what the? You're going to the wrong meetings. We'll talk yeah. afterwards. Yeah, I'll, we'll talk. I'll, I'll, let's let's I'll get a list going. I'll find you some coffee. Yeah, yeah, let's get a and list that, going. A lot of times that has, that's a big part of it. It's like, uh, you need to find out where to go. Just like we find out with mics and shows like, oh, how, where, where are you going to get funny? Yeah. It's, I, I yeah. applied a lot of the same principles to recovery into comedy. So it was like. I would see people with recovery I liked and then I would kind of like listen for what other meetings they uh, go to yes, and then yes, I would sort yes. of stalk them like show up like a creepy high school girl <laughs> even just though like, you're totally welcome totally the most welcome, welcome. the yeah, most yeah. welcome it is on the internet there is a pamphlet you yeah. know exactly where you're supposed to go and I would just kind of like st- kind of you know get a little creepy mm-hmm. and just show up and um, and then when I first started comedy it was kind of the same thing I had my one or two mics I was comfortable at and then people would tell me where the other ones were mm-hmm. And then I would find the I would get hooked in on the ones where I felt comfortable, and then it kind of grew from there. And then, just like in recovery, you start branching out. Once you feel comfortable where you're at, you start going to because you got you 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 got clean and sober in a small town. I it sounds Very like small. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you guys just like I did got super bored, and you would suddenly get in the car like with like five dudes and go to another <laughs> meeting that's what we would do we'd be like road trip to another meeting like weirdos yeah yeah we right? uh i would do that i i kind of bounce from pro can i name programs in this or do if, we if you're comfortable with it um, it's totally up to you i kind of i was uh this is when i um was first getting i was bouncing kind of between programs i would go to this na meeting i really liked mm-hmm. i'll go to this aa meeting which i still i love both of them to this day i read right. the na text all the time by Stepual, i get it yes absolutely mm-hmm. and um so it it was really strange in the NA program that was very common. Like, where are you going? Let's all go. Come on, let's all mm-hmm. NA. I mean, AA was very different. It's like, okay, goodbye. We're all you know. <laughs> it wasn't the big commuting. But then again, I did. You know, I got sober in a smaller town. Uh, these AA meetings have a lot more older people. You know, yeah. NA was characteristically you know younger. Younger at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but we talk about community in this program, and that's really what mm-hmm. it is all about building. Uh, same thing with comedy, same thing with recovery. You have to build that community. And I remember, see, you, you, you were sober and then started doing comedy. I don't, I don't know. Why? Right? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, that's exactly what so happened. So you, you got sober and you started. That wasn't the case for me. I was doing comedy um, for a, a while, and then I was like, oh, this is all falling apart. I mean, you know, and actually I had a great community of comedians who were like, oh, well, we know exactly what you need, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, you know, rehab, blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> um, the thing is when I first got out of my first treatment facility, uh, I thought that I could make the comedy community 
my recovery community. I thought that, mm-hmm. um, no, the, these people are here. This is my, I'll, I'll be, and it's just not the case at all. It's completely different things. Uh, it's very destructive thinking to think that, oh, you know, this comedy community that I built over years, you know, uh, not that I built, but um, that I grew with, uh, that's completely different. I, I thought that I could rely on them, and that wasn't the case at all. I had to stay and hang out after meetings, and I had to, you know, get a sponsor. I had to work stuff. I had to do all those things that you couldn't rely on with just, you know, your friends. And so I think that that was just. Uh, that's why I find it so interesting. You know, you were sober for a while. You started mm-hmm. doing comedy. Is that was that one of your goals that you were maybe too afraid to do when you were? using drinking no actually well i i got clean when i was 20 and in a really small town i fell in love almost immediately and um because that's a fun thing you can in a super small town you can secretary a meeting and date a boy with five years and Whoa. somehow that flies <laughs> um, uh, and it was fine like i ended up moving down here and um when i was living in long beach i was uh I had a different sponsor at the time, and her sponsor was speaking at an event in Ventura. So she loads me and my previous sponsor and my current sponsor into a car, and I'm the youngest and the smallest, so I ended up riding in, in the middle. And I, uh, we talked, and we started talking about comedy. And uh, she's one of these fantastically obsessive people, like where she really... Um, she falls in love with a thing as hard as a person can fall in love with the thing and admires it and, um, and learns everything about it. And I hadn't realized I had kind of grown up with an appreciation for comedy. I'd been to, uh, I went to a world convention and George Carlin was our headliner. A world convention? Yeah. What? Couple of them. They're fun. <laughs> um, and he walked like 30 rows of Texas addicts he pissed him off because he was doing material about uh incest and i picked up my purse and i marched all the way down front and watched a legend a couple of years before he died yeah. it was fucking yeah, brilliant you do. and so like i had always had an appreciation for comedy through my mom who listened to comedy albums constantly yeah and um and i had done the same and i was a big podcast fan and so, um, hey, adorable kitty. I'm sorry. Are we no, picking perfect. him up? <laughs> no, yeah, but he, it's, it's perfect. I love it. he's very shouty. He's, he will shout. My cat's the same way. If okay. we were, there's three cats at my house. So if we were at my house, there'd be a, just a chorus of kitty meows. Nah, I'm really starting fun. to think we should have done this there. More yeah. cats. <laughs> More cats. Yeah. This is, he, oh, God, he's so cute. Um, so, so your mom listened to a bunch of yeah, 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 there. and um, uh, I will let you interview the shit out of me on my own podcast. You like what I'm doing? I'm right sorry. Now? I'm no, doing I love that. it. I love it. We're getting to know each other because yeah. we have it because we've known each other peripherally, but we're like really mm-hmm. getting to know. It. This is trust me. Um, so anyway, so her and I started talking about comedy and all the all the boxes lined up. You know, when somebody says I like comedy, and you're like. You brace yourself because <laughs> you don't know what kind of hot shit garbage they're yeah. really going to like. Yeah. Or, you know, if they have some taste and all the stuff really lined up and we started going to shows. She took me to see Maria Bamford and then she got every single workshop ticket for uh, Patton Oswald working out his hour at the Largo. Oh, my. Get out my face. And get we out went my to, face. We went to everyone. Yeah. And I got to see it was such a great education in comedy because I got to see 
a, a master craft an hour and watch him put bits next to each other that didn't work and 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 really change things and this is the largo is just a, i love you crowd you know they don't they really it's it's really like a friendly friendly space especially for somebody like Patton oswald yeah they they kind of they sit down and go succeed Yes. We're all going to succeed. We're and here together. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. like Pete Holmes says, this is the first time you've been in an audience together. Let's have a good... It's like it's like yeah. that. It's like a, a pep rally for comedy. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I turned around to some podcasts and she was... She likes WTF and she was like, let's go to the comedy store and see Marin. And then we started doing that kind of obsessively. And then it turned into three, four times a week. Her poor husband was like, is this... It, it, she tells this story. He once brought home a dirt bike without asking, right? <laughs> and he said, is this your dirt bike? And she was like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is my dirt bike. This is what I want to do. And yeah. so we kept going. And one day I ran up to this comedian at the comedy store and I said, I think you're so funny. That was such a brilliant set. And he said, oh, you're a comic. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. Only comedians think I'm funny. And I said, uh, no, I'm not. Yeah. And he said, yes, you are. And then disappeared like into the mist. Yes, yes. And um, people kept approaching me with that at like all the time. And I was working at this place doing social media marketing for rehabs and listening to comedy albums while I made inspirational memes. I was literally putting like, <laughs> like AA quotes on pictures of beluga whales and branding it and sending it out into the world like a weirdo <laughs> and listening to comedy albums so I didn't blow my brains out because it's so tedious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my my then supervisor was like, I looked up this website called the Comedy Bureau and it has a list of open mics and you should write some stuff and you should go. And I was like, okay, fine. And you never wrote anything before? You didn't have nope. like a notebook or journal or anything? Nope. And then you decided to. You're like, oh, just started doing it. Just started I wrote, doing it. I wrote a bunch of stuff. I sent it. I sent it to my sponsor because she has good taste in comedy. Yeah. And I sent it to that boss who was like a writing major. And uh, then I went to an open mic and I ate shit. And then I took a class and people can judge me for that. That's fine. It was at a community center. It I wasn't... used to teach them, so it's oh, like, really? it became... yeah, I yeah. Can't. It was literally like at a, the Santa Monica School for Adults. <laughs> <laughs> and I paid a hundred bucks for it. Yeah. And I learned how to write one joke. I got one, one That's halfway what decent joke. I out of it. always obsess about, I try and talk to every comic I've ever had a conversation. Like, how did you start? Like, and I don't mean start mm-hmm. like this story, right? I mean, like when you sat and said, I'm going to get some jokes together. Yeah. What, you know, that empty void in our brain, that vast <laughs> field of nothing that, you know, cause that's, that's how I felt. Um, when I first started. So that's always so interesting. So you took the class and then that gave you some structure? Well, yeah, it gave me some structure. But one of the things, interestingly enough, is I know how to work steps. So I did an inventory. I did an inventory of things that I wanted to talk about and experiences that I had. I love this so much right now. And you have no idea. Really? I really the do. The look on your face. I wish I could. It's, it's, it's a good picture. He's yeah. smiling ear to ear. I took an inventory of a lot of the experiences that I had. And so I kind of did a weird thing where I started to write without having um, a solid foundation and observational skills, started writing about my personal experience because that is what, twelve I think, 12 years at the time in the program had taught me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then I would go up and just tell these 
stories and they weren't funny for a long time. (laughs) 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 But I had a fun moment where this guy who always took a chance on me and booked me on these like, they seem like the grimmest bar shows in the world. Like you're like, oh no, you walk in, you're like, this is going to blow. Yeah, you feel that heavy heavy like oh he keeps it so fun and so light even though there's like five people in the room and like two civilians and they're drunk and it's like he yeah. keeps it so fun and he was like you know i've heard you do that material before but you polish the shit out of it and i was like <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you sir yeah. so is it you know it's that's how did you start um i uh through high school i did uh, improv and sketch comedy mm-hmm. um uh, there was like I took theater in in uh, middle school, and there was this improv troupe from the local like community college. But in Fayetteville, North Carolina, the community college is like huge. Like that's the university there; it's enormous. And so their theater company had an improv troupe came performed for us, and I remember seeing it. I was like, that that's what I want to do. You can just say whatever you want. They're like, yeah, freedom. Yeah, freedom. So mm-hmm. after that, and and of course, I was watching. Uh, I remember being like nine years old and listening to um, uh, uh, my first Steve Martin album and thinking like, oh, yes, I I love this. It was like, let's get small. And um, I'd always been obsessed with it since then. And then the troupe came and I saw him. I was like, okay, this is a great way to be funny. Make people laugh. I took classes over the summer, started my own improv troupe. POC, so stupid. Oh, that but, sounds so uh, um, teenage boy. POC, yeah. what did that POC stand for? POC, pack on crack. Oh, Everyone yeah. said we were on crack. Everyone said we smoked crack because we're. It's real weird to do improv, <laughs> and I think POD was a band at the time. Yes. I don't think I know this certainly. for sure. Yeah. For sure, and uh, we were kind of, um, I think, trying to make fun of them, but nobody knew other than us, <laughs> and me. We, we might have even forgot, <laughs> but. And we also did sketches, too, uh, which they're all audio sketches. My friend Zach was a real tech guy. Uh, he was in the troupe. And, um, so I always did uh, sketch and improv all through middle school, all through high school. Um, but I was always so terrified to do stand-up. This is, let me tell you, this is a really heavy story. Like, it's starting real lighthearted. It gets real dark. Get and I don't it. know if Get into it. this is your kind of thing. Yes. Um, but Just wherever it works for you. Like, this is... I don't like walk into a podcast and go like, I have an idea of where this is going to go. I have my questions and then we start talking. I told this That's story it. on a podcast with some guys in North Carolina and I could see it was affecting them. <laughs> you know. But uh, so I was always so scared to do stand up and uh, this is in high school. So now I'm discovering um, drugs, alcohol. Okay. Um, so I always wanted to do stand up and toward the end of high school, I'm starting to drink. I'm discovering that. I'm starting to figure out, like, that's all I want to do with my life. I I just want to get fucked up all Mm -hmm. the time. And so I got away from anything comedy-related, anything friends-related. I was just... And so there was a period of years there where I was just out of society, um, you know, not working, not doing anything. And it got really... uh, I got really strung out. I got really low. And I was actually... uh, I'd had it. I was tired. So I was going to, I was going to take my own life and I planned it and I picked out the spot and one of the guys I was buying dope from, there was a gun involved, you know? So this wasn't a cry for help kind of thing. This was like, right. A, all right, I'm doing that tomorrow after breakfast. And I remember driving from the spot where I was going to do it, just started laughing. I was laughing because I was too, 
I, I always wanted to do stand up. I never did it, but I was too afraid to do stand up. But I was literally gonna Kill die <laughs> the next day. And so I called or texted my friend Aaron. He ran like a music open mic downtown Fayetteville. I was like, "Can I just come by and tell some jokes?" He's like, "Of course, I'd love. I've seen you in years. I haven't heard from you." And I go and I I do one of these. And for the people listening, my hand is going kind of back. Like I did okay. Mm-hmm. I think I got like three laughs in five minutes or something like that. And I remember getting off stage. I was like, "Oh, okay, I can do this." And that's what I did after that. But where I fucked up was, I thought that comedy solved everything i was like oh comedy is the answer yeah. that's the answer to all my problems meanwhile i was still drinking and stealing to drain and use drug you know i was still getting fucked up all the time but mm-hmm. that's kind of i remember after that um i started traveling all over north carolina to every single mic i could do um every email every person i ran a show trying to get on and uh you know years later i, I wound up you know getting sober but that's how i got started in comedy okay so what was your your big moment of surrender like what's been your biggest surrender in and out of recovery uh there was uh, a couple years into me doing comedy i was uh living in my jeep i was still i i refused to stop i'm not gonna stop drinking and using that's just not yeah but a couple years of that I'm, i'm living in my jeep i mean i'm not eating um uh, sick every day, throwing up every day, contemplating suicide. And um, I remember a friend of mine uh, from North Carolina. He said, "I will. I, I know what your problem is. We all know what your problem is. You're showing up to shows, fucked up. You can't remember your set. We all know what's wrong." He's like, "I'm in a program. I'm going to take you to a meeting. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll pick you up. I'll get you something to eat. I'll take you. It's something to do. You're not laying in the Jeep Cherokee in the Walmart parking lot." Jesus. Yeah. Know? So I was like, okay, well, we'll do this. Wait, you were homeless in a Jeep Cherokee? Oh, right. oh yeah, wow. me too. High yeah, five. Oh, 1987 Jeep it. Cherokee. Yeah, I had a black ni- interior. I had a 97, so. Uh, you, know, you had the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> it stunk. It smelled like vomit. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it did. It was the saddest thing. I remember a couple nights uh, just pulling together the um bags of like fast food as as a pillow a couple times and sleeping on that yeah yeah i'm a low bottom i'm a low bottom addict like a sadness hamster yeah (laughs) (laughs) in my little wood chips yeah yeah it's it's got a shame thread shame count of thread and um i i remember laughing about that too and i remember I, I have little spots of memory through all these blackouts and because I was totally a, a blackout drunk like, as in I could have a beer a sip and my brain's like shutting it it's going we're shutting it down mm-hmm. but I would have these little moments of actually it's a part of the disease and my defense mechanism but I would find that funny I'd be like I'm sleeping on a bunch of Bojangles bags ha ha like <laughs> that is what the fuck man but um, I remember living like that for a while and comics knew and uh, took, uh, a friend of mine took me to a meeting and um, I remember getting drunk that night as well still drinking that night and mm-hmm. thinking like I I am absolutely out of control you know the out of all the relapses and you know in 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 detox out of detox in and out of rehab meetings is you know picking up the white chips um, I always knew I was powerless I remember having my first drink when I was 11 years old 
and then thinking like, oh, I'm finishing that six pack. I, I want more of this, more. All right. of the, but I always had this weird thought that I could still do what I wanted to do. Like I knew I didn't have any control over how much I'm drinking, but I thought in the back of my mind, I still had control over my actions. And I don't, I don't know the particular moment, but I think it was um, when I got out of rehab um, the second time out of my second facility, I, had, I really sat down and um, realized that I don't have control over my actions when I'm drinking and using. I definitely don't have control over the amount, how much and what I use. And I was, for some weird reason, fine with that. But I, I had to really realize that um, I, I don't have control over what I will do once I'm, yeah. you know, drinking and using. So That's the hardest thing. Yeah. That's what I hear people struggle with a lot. It's they're like, no, but it's cool. I'm in control. I'm fine. Yeah, no, I can, I can drink. I'll drink 45 beers, but I mean, I do, I do what I want. You really, did you want to ride to the store and get more beer? Right. Did you, did you want to spend that money you were saving to get the beer? You know, um, these are all things I did, but, um, no, that's, that's definitely what I was really, lying to myself about those worst lies are lies mm-hmm. i told myself you know totally yeah. what's been your most insane moment in and out of recovery oh god i i remember being in the hospital um do you do you mean moment like in a meeting or or what whatever do you, you just... want to talk about you know that sort of yeah, that that second step insanity you know we talk about like oh we are turning your okay so Let's see, we can only the power could restore us to sanity, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's an inherent admission that we are insane. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Completely. You can't you can't turn you can't ask something to restore you to sanity if you are totally sane, you don't need the help. No. Yeah. <laughs> um I remember checking myself into detox. Uh I I've been in a detox to me. I think this is my third time. And I checked myself in the teeth. I was so severely dehydrated mm-hmm. and sick. And they started IV. They're getting me fluids. They're like, all right, we're going to get you admitted soon, you know. And I remember I, dr- I took myself to, this, to, to the hospital to get detoxed. And I remember pulling the IV out of my arm and walking out of the hospital thinking, I don't want to get sober. And I remember standing in the parking lot like, what did I just do? Right. I want to get sober, but I, but I didn't. I wasn't ready you know i wasn't committed but i but i was i hope i'm making sense you're making total sense but that that is and you don't even have to make sense i half the time don't make any sense but so you're it, fine. that that is that is when i really realized i was like no this is so far from from normal and and who i think i am you know that i remember that moment i remember staying in the parking lot it was early too it was like 8 a.m Mm-hmm. It's early to be ripping IVs out of your arms. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, early in the day. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> ripping out IVs That's isn't a breakfast. Come no, on you don't. You don't do that with eggs. You <laughs> you don't do that with eggs. Um, so I, I remember that moment very clearly. I always think about. It. I can always feel that IV coming out of my arm. Ugh, you know, and uh, just standing there and really having a moment to myself in the park like i think i left out of an emergency exit and pe- like you're not even supposed to they yeah. don't even let patients in this area <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember how i got out of there are you still wearing the gown totally wearing the yeah. gown totally gotta be wearing the gown yeah. and i i went back in I, I went around which was so it was like you know hospital campuses i, I walked for like 
15 minutes back to the ER entrance, you know, because mm-hmm. the door I went out of was an emergency, closed at all the time, didn't even have handles on the outside, I think. So I walked around back. I was like, I, I left. I want to come back in. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to talk about insanity. One story Con- that captures the out and the in of recovery yes. in one foul swoop. Yes. That's a brilliant. The, that, that story has. Is <laughs> you were out and now you were in. Acceptance, love, and support. And shame. What, but, did the, what did the, the nurses do? Were they just uh, like, oh, I went this to. It was. It was um, the the woman I went to originally, mm-hmm. I did. There was like three windows. It was kind of like a very big, kind of busy hospital. So it was like stand here, wait till we call you. Almost like a bank. It was a completely different lady. But um, I went up to her. I was like, yeah, I just I left. I came out. She's like, let me see your wrist. It was almost like she'd seen it a thousand times. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, this again. Yeah, yeah, let me see your wrist. Okay, we wait over there. Nice. Like she wasn't like this mother. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah, no, it happens. You're the third one to do that. Yeah. Today. <laughs> totally. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. How do you make decisions? Uh, with thought, with thought and prayer. You know, I heard this um, uh, one speaker say, and it's always rang with me, but she said, my mind is a dangerous place mm-hmm. and I don't go there unescorted. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And so I rarely make a decision without running it by maybe my sponsor maybe mm-hmm. somebody else i trust or love or that i know cares about me um i used to do this though to a uh, crippling extent to where uh, i would run it like say i wanted to um uh, move here or mm-hmm. something or do this thing or take this job say i wanted to take this job i'm like i don't know if this job is a good decision i would be paralyzed with fear that i would and i was using other people as an excuse i would talk to everybody i would what do you think about this well what do you think and i would look for little tiny signs to negate doing this thing because i was you know paralyzed with you know the uncertainty things i have no control over right you know but um nowadays usually i mean i might run a decision like that over my through my sponsor but most of the time i just sit and i really think it out um, I'll try running it by people. I tried journaling about um, heavy issues, like big decisions mm-hmm. for a while. I tried journaling about that, but I'm so ADD. I would just ramble. I would just get off topic. I, it would way, it would yeah. have nothing to do with it by the end. Not that it has to, but I wouldn't feel any um, kind of uh, closure to it or or anything. But yeah, I I do I don't make decisions. No, without an escort, though. I, I try and run it by somebody. I like that. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough. I'm still not good at it, to be honest. I, uh, I, I struggle with um, self-worth and, and shame, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I struggle with uh, you know, self-esteem, things like that, So as we all do in, in the program. But I, uh, I really... Uh, have to let go of what I don't have power over, what I have no control over, and just make a decision. But I try to make an informed one. Yeah. You know, our feeling, you know, my feelings, um, gosh, I, f- I forgot how it was um, 
a speaker worded it, but they're, they're not always true. You know, whenever, when I think like, oh, feelings I aren't facts. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're not the, well, mine, I, I can't, I can't feel fear of something and go immediate, definitely danger. That's of course that's dangerous. And, and you know, I, yeah. I can't look at it like that. I, I have to sit with them and, um, you know, that, that can be uh, very paralyzing sometimes if if i don't if i just act, if i'm if i hesitate and do, don't do something i'm afraid of or or that i'm uncertain of i mean i just have to realize i'm uncertain of most everything you know it's, it's so many i couldn't even order in a restaurant for years <laughs> can i tell you that i used to say this and my one friend who was a roommate and and then and a person who oh, yeah, actually so eskimoed me into the program it's so funny he used to get so frustrated because i would look at a waiter and go okay so if the Cobb salad and the BLT were in a cage match to the death, Thunderdome, who would win? And that's how I would make the decision. <laughs> I, I love that you said that. I love that you said that. I, it's, it's, I kind of started with a big example, like a job. But no, it's those tiny little things. Fries or tots. I need to have <laughs> the best experience all the time. All the time. Because I, now. What if, what if this is the last meal I'll ever have? It, it will certainly be the last meal I'll ever have. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm in the present, you know. It, but it's <laughs> living It's living in the fear of scarcity, yes, right? So yeah. it's like, I'll never have enough drugs. I'll never have enough alcohol. No woman will ever date me again. I better be, be, marry her. I'm going to die alone. I'm going to die alone. <laughs> no one will ever be interested in me again. You know? Yeah. It's, it's you know fears like that that cause so much so much pain and just mm-hmm. unnecessary you know uh turmoil but um yeah i i am exactly the same way it can it can go all the way to the bottom yeah of the, of the gamut like which toothpaste do i buy mm-hmm. what, what what do you you know i need whitening but cavity is what gets you know these yeah. little things <laughs> do i want to keep can, my teeth or do i want the teeth i have to be beautiful insanity which, which ones do i want insanity okay i think we're doing good uh, what's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself? Oh my God! Um, without being, without without having too much self pity, I mean, I I I never thought I was selfish. I never thought I was selfish. Mm-hmm. I I I thought I was very um, honest, and I and I I thought that everyone acted you know ways xyz and was you know but then i learned like no i i'm a selfish person i'm immature i um i'm i i have resentments i act out of spite you know these are all things i learned getting sober and there was no excuse for it there was absolutely yeah no no excuse and i remember having to really face that because you know we all you know work our fourth and, and fifth step and and learn a lot about ourselves right. through that. And I remember um, being really honest with that and taking a good look at it. And I have an amazing sponsor and I, you know, I did at the, the time doing this and um, I remember really looking at those pages that I wrote down going, Oh man, I've really looked out for number one, haven't I? I've really, <laughs> and right. that was, that is one character defect that, um, is 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 kind is, is tough for me because you know I I I had a guy sharing a meeting. Let me I'll say this first. Okay. I had a guy sharing a meeting, and I, I think about it 
a lot. He said, um, when I came to this program, my, my sponsor said that this whole time you thought your drug of choice was alcohol. In actuality, it's self-pity. And I heard that. I was like, oh, my God. That's mm-hmm. that's me. I love some self pity. I can just sit in it and oh, get warm with it and oh, oh, they did me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the world is so mean oh, to me. Oh. Love me, love me. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I've been there. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you want to, you know, I wanted to mask my selfishness with, um, you know, not standing up for myself and. You know, I got to get my fair share. Mm-hmm. Things have to be, you know. And uh, upon learning what, you know, how I was actually acting, coming off, and really just the truth of it, um, that was that was something that. What was the what was the question? What what did I learn that? What was the most surprising thing you learned about yourself? Yeah, that was that was very surprising. I really had to really had to look at that. How do you feel like people know you? Like, what is your what is your level of sort of like intimacy with people in your life? It's I I want to say the, oh they know exactly, but it's like three people, you know. I <laughs> uh, I, I, I wanna, met all three of them. I think so. I think you've met uh, Tycho the cat is one. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a lot of people. Those people know exactly who I am. They know exactly what to expect. Um, but no, not a lot of people, not a lot of people know. Do you feel like you are known by your higher power? Like your sponsor? Yeah. Yeah. I I think my sponsor is definitely one of, I mean, you, I, I could have a sponsor that didn't know me really well. I can't imagine that working because if, if I'm being, uh, guarded, it's it's so obvious. Uh, yeah. you, I don't hide that well at all. I come off like a, a youth minister or something. Like it's it's like a Chick Fil A cashier, just like phony. You know, it's. I didn't mean to say youth minister. <laughs> no, I love both those analogies. But, it's so um, cute. <laughs> I come off. I come off very. You can tell. And and the thing with a lot of people in the program is you're not going to bullshit a lot of them. It, yeah. It's, it just does, especially old timers. It's not going to work. And. No, my my sponsor is definitely one of them. A couple of close friends who are comics, but um, yeah. Other than that, it's it's, it's not a lot. And keep it small but tight. Yeah, I used to um, just everybody like, hey, I'm Ryan, and yeah. and I would throw you know the good things about me and my faults in people's faces and see what comes back, and and that's not fair. I had to, I had to learn like that's that's not uh, fair to them. Really, you kind of have to. I, I, I had big issues um, before recovery with boundaries and with people. You know, I would divulge my most intimate details, secret, whatever, with people immediately. And I would almost expect it back. And then yeah. you can't expect that back from people because not everybody's like me, you know. And then I would resent them, you know. Now there's it's a, a barrier. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I, I've I've learned to really take uh, intimacy, whether it be with friends or whoever, uh, very slowly, and I'm I'm still very wary of it. And I think, like everybody on Earth, I've I've had uh, some of that used against me and in, in, in a hurtful way. And I'm sure mm. I've done it to other people, but um, yeah, uh, not not a lot of people. I'm very slow to it still. Okay, that's cool. 
How do you deal with fear and anxiety? Um, the, the big thing with anxiety is what I do is we, we have the phrase, you know, you play the tape. Right. Um, I think about taking a drink, play the tape. I'm going to not go to work. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to, you know, and, and I, I, I use the same tool with, um, fear and anxiety a lot. Now, the the easy answer to that that you not easy answer but a common answer I, I think would be you know prayer meditation mm-hmm. which I do use those tools but um, a lot of times with fear and anxiety I try and I play the tape okay what are you anxious about oh that maybe they won't like me well are you being honest are you prepared yes well then what you're anxious about I have no control over with you know those things it all boils down to control and you would think like whenever you get fearful and anxious, Ryan, then why don't you just realize you don't have control? I still have to play the tape. I still have to look at the situation and I still have to break it down and deconstruct it and, and really feel those emotions and feel that moment. So, um, that's kind of, that's, that's what I do. I, I really just sit and think I might look like a psycho just you know sitting, just uh, he looks pissed like no he's just deciding whether to get french toast or not or like you know like he's just seeing if he'll have enough money at the grocery store uh what defects do you have to still work on the most I really have to uh work on control I have problems with control issues and that's where a lot we we were just discussing the the fear and anxiety comes from i have really bad anxiety mm. and I, I you know i try and play i i exercise and i um you know I, I try and do a lot of things to deal with that other than medication obviously right. but i i really anxiety at the root of it is control and mm-hmm. that is something that i I really do struggle with. And I know that that can lead to an issue with um, turning over control, my higher power, um, things like that. But, um, and that's also something I work on my relationship with my higher power. I mean, I was raised in a, it might sound strange coming from North Carolina, but I was raised in an atheist household. Like my dad is a militant atheist wow a militant atheist i have a joke about not trusting angry atheists because he's so mad it makes me think like he like they're still like i I think you still like like god you know (laughs) but um he i remember it it was it was so it was like seventh grade i was going to church because i wanted to date this girl jennifer and i remember him sitting me down he um I grew up in a very like kind of cold house. Um, mm-hmm. I had a I had a brother who died very young, and so the impact of that on the family was very harsh. And and what that what I mean by that was um, not very not affectionate. Not how was your day? We really mm-hmm. didn't even talk much. It was very quiet. Um, I tell people it was like a like a wax museum in there, like oh, you know. But I remember the one time my dad sat down to speak to me about something he was serious about was like ryan um you don't believe any of that shit right because if you do i'm very concerned (laughs) (laughs) like like, we need to have a little i know i was like are you serious you're not about to turn religious no (laughs) you're not about to be religious that was his one concern how are they with uh 12 step 
Um, I by the time I got into the program, they were like, anything, please, and whatever it okay. is, I don't care. We'll pray with you. Stop going to jail. Stop stealing. You know, yeah, like those. Um, because as you know, like I lived in my car, and that wasn't like the worst thing. I was, uh, you know you know in and out of jail and stuff i was stealing from family as as a lot of addicts do but i was stealing from family i mean it was it was very hard very hard on them and so at that point i think yeah they were just like whatever it is we don't care fine do it mm. please you know um so that uh that well okay so back to the higher power thing that was very difficult for me and i i i you know i still pray uh every day um, I, I'd like to think I have a great relationship with my higher power, but it's, it's something, you know, I probably do need to work on. But. Hmm. I wouldn't judge it. No, no, but it, it's something I'm aware of. You know, it's not uh, one that came natural. That's not a step that came very easy for me. Good. I think stuff that doesn't come easy to us, um, becomes sort of the fulcrum of our growth yeah yeah i don't know many anybody i've met with long-term sobriety usually very spiritual people uh, you know yeah it goes i knew a guy with like 30 years who was like a militant atheist to the very end oh yeah yeah oh man yeah feisty yeah, 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 very. And kind very. of rub it in everyone's faces in the meeting. It's real cute. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I do, you know, there is a, a guilty pleasure of mine. I do get enjoyment when, um, and it's it's so, somebody will bring up um, an outside story like the Bible or something in a meeting. And this is my old home group. It was uh, Midday Reprieve. Oh, I miss it. And uh, there's this one guy. Anybody that mentioned it, he would absolutely be the next share and then definitely discuss spiritual not religious yeah yeah yeah, yeah. thank you for sharing but uh, yeah we don't talk like that we don't yet. especially uh, my na um home group I, I was a part of in um agape they very serious about that too and and here here's a, like if, if we want to practice compassion and, and empathy that's you know i can get weird about that like maybe you know how it's approached is very very it's very important mm-hmm. and sometimes looking back i would disagree with that but um it takes i've i've seen people with significant time drop that hammer coated in velvet yeah like but yeah. it really takes uh, a lot of maturity and growth and coming from a place of not uh, of security I think a lot of the reaction comes from fear. Yeah. You know, don't, oh, don't, don't change the way we're doing. And um, <laughs> we don't have to do that. You know, we don't have to come from a place of fear. We have to trust that there's nothing that's going to disintegrate our program. It stood just fine without us and will continue to stand when we're gone. Absolutely. And so yeah. with that in mind, Hey, you know, you just kind of say, "Hey, it says in this book this thing." Uh, let me introduce you to the traditions. Yeah, uh, here you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm not mad at you. It's not personal, but you know, this is the thing. Yeah. And then you walk away. But I, I've seen that happen too, where people get really beaten over the head with like, and I've been that person. I, I get oh, all the God, sides. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you experience forgiveness? You, forgiveness is such a. a t- I don't want to say a tough one, but 
that is um, still a very difficult uh, subject for me, a very difficult topic. I don't, I find it so hard to forgive myself mainly. And I, I know that's something uh, we learn is, is shame is, is very destructive. It has no place in our lives. And, and this, but um, how I experience forgiveness, um, it's, it's hard. It's tough. I, I really can fall into a cycle of uh, beating myself up and being mm-hmm. hard on myself. And for people who have even, who I've made amends to that have even forgiven me, I can still beat myself up for those things. Right. Uh, uh, forgiveness is, uh, it's tough. It's tough. I, um, not forgiving yourself is self-centeredness. Yes. It's just a different, it's yes. Yeah. You know, lack of self-acceptance. It's just a, a turned, it's a new def. It's not a new defect, but it's, it's just that, that defect of ego. Yeah. Cause our, our thoughts, our actions are not that important, mm-hmm. but if we keep, it's like once we drop the amends, it's out of our hands. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That's the one thing I try to remember. I'm just like, well, that's, I'm powerless over the how long it takes that person to process that. And and I <laughs> I would I would and and maybe of of course I you know I need more step work and, and things like that. I need to, but um, in the in the text it'll, it'll say and and I this might not be an exact quote, but we often make the mistake of allowing our past actions to define us instead of our yeah. disease. And I really struggle with that. I really, that's, it's really tough. I, I find myself going back into that cycle of allowing that in, and it's just a way to allow shame in, which is, you know, so toxic, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) What's the weirdest amends you've had to make? I have made, uh, some weird amends. I, uh, a lot of times it was, um, I remember there was, uh, when I first got out of treatment the first time, uh, it was, uh, in Greensboro, I was living there. And so a lot of the guys who I was in treatment with, I would see them at meetings and this and that. And, and when I first, uh, started, I got a sponsor, I was working steps and by working steps, I mean like one, two and three, like mm-hmm. I'm not, this is like two weeks out. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, and I, I had, to, I, I made an amends. Uh, to my roommate who I was in treatment with who um, we weren't allowed to have tank tops in this treatment center. I don't know. Which, treatment rules are very, they're arbitrary, but they make sense too. Yeah. So it's yeah. like probably somebody had tattoos that were offensive, so they outlawed tank tops. Oh, yeah. I I think, which I kind of get because during the end of my stay at that facility, we had a bunch of, I feel like such a curmudgeon saying that, but we had a bunch of young people come in that would... Uh, wear like a tank top and uh, they they had tattoos and they were um, I don't know maybe not the like they would have like weed leaf tattoos yeah. and stuff yeah, and yeah. so I can I can understand it but um, we weren't supposed to have tank tops they found a bunch in our drawer I said <laughs> I didn't know who it was and I, I blamed my roommate they were all uh, your tank tops. They were tops. all mine. They're all my tank tops. <laughs> you were and just you know, putting them on in the room like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I came in with a trash bag of clothes. I, mm-hmm. I was living in my Jeep at this time. And um, 
<laughs> they they like it's not like he got kicked out or anything but they definitely took him somewhere in quite they totally believed me and that's how manipulative i am yeah. I, you see my face uh, you know yeah you're and convincing I'm, when i want to lie and, you know i mean i was broke for years and i was you know fucked up every day like i can i can manipulate and i i totally manipulated the text there and um i was like i don't know whose it is i'm not saying any name anyway they they really hounded him about it and gave him a hard time and i lie and then i had to lie to him and be like dude i don't know who you know and ended up making an amends to him for that and that might not sound really weird but it was the first it's the first time one, so i had weird. to say i lied yeah i lied to you and i lied to them and you know I'm so it was it was very strange because he he didn't know he didn't ask for it he didn't say man it, it was just like hey Ryan how you doing it's good to see you and I was just like I am sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it was just billowing out of me and um so I, I think that was that was a weird one I you know I don't have many that's like I'm sorry for stealing your lawn furniture <laughs> do you get a lot of weird ones on here do you get yeah, sometimes yeah sometimes yes sometimes no but it's always an interesting question because I think amends to especially people on the outside are like what because yeah. we're not saying I'm sorry oh he's fine there's like a 20 pound cat just walking around in front of the yeah, yeah he's a solid 23 he, he's just like hey what's up yeah. um you know, we I think amends are mysterious because, especially for folks on the outside, because they're like, you don't just say you're sorry. It's like, yeah. no, you own that you did something wrong, and then you say, how can I make it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, some of that stuff is just like, yeah, thanks, you know, and, and then it's tricky because you don't want to cause harm. So you have to uh, talk to your sponsor yeah. and find out, like, oh, does this cause harm? And so, you know, and sometimes you have to script it and sometimes... You know, so I think amends for a lot of people, even in recovery, for me, amends can be something mysterious and tricky and something I really have to focus on because my inclination is to say like, oh, hey, my bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oops, yeah. Sorry. It can, for me, I have to be real careful. It can be very selfish. It can be like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And now you give me. Give the, me acceptance. Yeah, give I me feel acceptance. bad about myself. I'm okay. Yep. Build me up. Build mm-hmm. me up. And it's a completely selfless act. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to just go at it that way uh this did um uh, spring up another memory i i made amends to well first of all the first time i worked steps um i had my you know my list and my sponsor crossed out damn near all of it it was everyone except family basically you okay. know and i i remember making so this isn't a part of my step work kind of amends mm-hmm. this is just a um, after I've been sober for a little bit, I approached a, a comedy booker who I'd kind of screwed over in the past and as in not showing up for, to a show. And I'm starting to make an amends to him, just telling, you know, I'm sorry, man. And I remember he was like, you know, it, it, it's fine. I mean, I, d- I didn't even remember you um, not promoting the show or something like that. He He didn't even realize that I didn't show up yeah. to the show. He just, he thought that I was apologizing to him for not, advertising it on facebook or something like that and you know what i i i let him believe that i was like yeah i didn't even account interesting yeah i didn't even account for it Hmm. that was a weird one how do you do this thing on the day-to-day like what does your recovery look like on a day-to-day basis um the morning is well well, with work and stuff I, i wake up different hours of the day but when i wake up that's really important to me i don't know if you read 
um, like 24 hours a day or, mm. or anything. I, I usually wake up, I meditate, I pray, and I read a little bit of literature. Um, I don't hit as many meetings out here as I should, um, but I usually try and hit a couple a week. Um, and then at the, you know, sometime in between, I, I give my sponsor a call, but uh, he started a new job, so a lot of times it's voicemails now but i'll right. I'll reach out somehow right i'll reach out to him or somebody else in my network um so it's usually wake up uh prayer meditation reading uh meeting and then a phone call if nice. i you know i used to be a lot better and i think i mentioned it earlier about attempting to journal at the end of the night mm-hmm. that was something i wish i could get back into is kind of taking an inventory of the day at the end of the day through like journaling or something like that hmm. but okay what's your relationship with your higher power like I, I i really love the idea of praying to something that might not be there or that i i have difficulty believing in and then my life gets better you know that's that's really what i had to understand like just pray it doesn't matter i had a guy at a meeting tell me take Take my higher power. Yep. I'll give you mine. Give it back in a year. <laughs> we had a guy that we would say, don't pray to Kevin Duffy's higher power because you will get what you want and regret it. <laughs> <laughs> People would always get that guy, that job, that car, and then it would crush them. Crush them. <laughs> ruin them. Yeah. Sure, you want this? <laughs> <laughs> so. But that, that's my relationship. You know, I, um, It's something I struggled with. I I remember the first uh, two go rounds in the program. I was like, I'll do this without without prayer. It it just you know, there's a lot of circumstances, but it never worked. It never stuck. I never could be sober longer than ninety days. I remember sixty being grueling. Right. But the second I did, and I'm not saying it's like all I do is is pray. That that's not what I'm saying. When I the this the this last go around, I did everything. I prayed, I got a sponsor, I went to meetings, I read literature, I did service work. That's another big one. Mm-hmm. Um, How but, many years has it been? Uh, it was 18 months this time, uh, last month in June. Yay! Yeah. Happy 18 months! Hooray! Party time. It's a big deal. But, um, yeah, when I started doing everything, that's when I kind of could stick some months together. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But it to to the question, you know, it, it was it was hard for me to figure it out. But that's what I always wanted to do. I needed to define this thing, whatever it is out there, this higher right. power. I need to know. No, I, I want to know its name. You know, what does it look like? You know, I had yeah. to. And that was me not letting go. That was me not giving over control why are we putting parameters on a thing why it's completely pointless the higher power that we don't understand and don't need to i don't need to i don't need to yeah Yeah. and oftentimes i don't and i'm super pleasantly surprised laugh really hard all i know is my higher power has a big sense of humor yes yeah yeah i think my higher power is working some hilarious bits right now oh definitely that dude is killing yeah <laughs> or that lady is killing that hopefully thing without gender i really hope god yeah. does not have gender that yeah. would be weird yeah i'd like stop that i don't even i don't even want it to have a human container i want it to be a different <laughs> container i don't i want it to be totally different but that that's 
uh, kind of in a nutshell, that's that's my religion. I don't know. I just send my prayer out yeah. and things get better. That's it. It's our magic trick. There you go. We do a little magic trick. <laughs> you mentioned um, service. How do you enjoy being of service? You know, um, I I moved here and the and she might even be able to hear and I hope she does. But my neighbor downstairs, uh, in an elderly lady, uh, I bug the shit out of her. I try and always ask her uh, what she needs done. Like I, I think two or three days ago, I washed all of her windows in her house. I fixed Aww. her cell phone the other day. I took her to uh, pick her car up. Like I'm always trying to do, and that's uh, that's with a lot of my neighbors. I mean, of course. We begin service work at our home group, making the coffee, handing out books, this and that. But if we, re- if if I really want to get outside of myself, I just look around me. You know, that's um, sometimes the easiest way to do it. But I love that. Yeah, yeah. That and I, I'm, I'm kind. You know, that's the one thing I am certain of is service work always makes me feel better. Always. Yeah. That yeah. always improves whatever mood I'm in. Even if I'm in a great mood, it makes it better. I know. If I'm in a shitty mood, it makes it great. It's it's something that I don't wonder about doing. I immediately try and jump on that. That's always something that helps. I had this weird moment. Um, as a comedian, I was uh, doing this festival. And I got there and I was so excited. I was so happy. I had that convention feeling, you know, you go to a convention yeah. and you're like, eh. Yeah, and so I was yeah. like running around and I kept asking the gal running the room, is there anything you need me to do? Yeah. Like, yeah. I wanted to make coffee and fold up a chair so hard. And no she idea. was like, sit down, just be an artist right now. <laughs> Chill out. And yeah. I had such a hard time with it. Cause I was like, no, I'm expressing my gratitude. And so yeah. then what I ended up doing was just like hugging people a lot and being like, I'm so grateful to be here because I like my default is convention dork. That, yes. That's what I'm yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you can, you can take the girl out the rooms, but apparently you can't. You can't no. take the stank of that coffee off of me. Please. I'm just like. I hope oh. it never goes away. Aww. I hope it never goes away. Yeah, I think it scares comics, but that's okay. No good. Let them be. Please, scared. I um, I. I I was never a hugger until I started getting in the program. And um, you can ask the comics in in Raleigh. Ryan will hug you. I uh, will hug you. I tell people, I, I will hug the shit out of you. You will have to tell me to stop. You will have to. And I, I might not. I might I not. I did that to somebody the other day. They were at my house, to be fair. Come on. Enjoying a barbecue. You're in a hugger's home. Yeah. You're going to get hugged. When in, when in Rome, you get yeah. hugged. Um, there was... <laughs> I, I got without knowing it. I got a rep. My home club in North Carolina is Good Nights Comedy Club, and at our open mic, when I would I would I would try and go at the end some for a little while, and there would be new people every now and then, like mm-hmm. their first time. I would be right at the steps to hug them, and and like be like, a greeter. "Yes, I yeah. swear to God, whenever they got off stage, I'd hug them. I'd be like, you belong here." I treat the oh, show like a meeting. Almost. I love it. No, but that's tr- it's true. They're coming there to get some connection and some love. But it can creep folk out. Oh yeah, for sure. But I, I don't, I don't know. I'd rather that than Ryan's bitter. Ryan's, oh, right. he's, he's bitter and, right. and entitled. Right. No, he's oh that guy that hugs you and tells you to come back and you know. Yeah. I'll be that. That's the best. I'm fine with that. So. 
this has been great. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share? Is there a social media handle? Is there, do you have shows coming up? Do um, you want to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's it's such a difficult name I've, I've found out, but it's I'm Ryan Higgins. The letter I, the letter M, Ryan Higgins. Mine is Anna V is fun, and because it's two N's, people are like, Wall? Yeah, nobody ever nobody yeah. ever finds me. They they think it's Am Ryan Higgins, or so, I don't know. Find uh, Ryan Higgins. It's I am Ryan Higgins <laughs> on the Twitter. On it the means Twitter. the world to comics when they're like, oh, I'm a Twitter follower. I know. It yeah. Um, it's it's that's one of the the mediums that. I, I, I like Twitter. I made it a nice place. I follow a lot of uh, comic book accounts. Yeah. And, and high fantasy art. <laughs> I follow yeah. a lot of that. So. That's awesome. Well, get a hold of him. Find him on Twitter. You're on Facebook. On Facebook. Book this man. He's new to LA. <laughs> Best kept secret. Very nice. And he will hug the audience. I will hug. I will straight up hug him. He will hug people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having Yay. me. This was a blast. Yay. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.